Welcome to Missing Pieces, MPE Life. I'm your host, Don Anderson, and I have a cold, so I apologize if it affects my voice too much. I was trying to think recently about when I became familiar with the term switched at birth, and I don't recall. It's as if it's always been part of my vocabulary. And I think most of us are fascinated by switched at birth stories. It's been a literary device for a couple of centuries. Mark Twain used it in The Tragedy of Puddinghead and Wilson. And he kind of used it in The Prince and the Pauper, but in that story, the two characters, I mean, they switched places as kids, but um, they chose to switch. It wasn't like they were, someone switched them at birth. I think people that were switched at birth are kind of like the ultimate NPE. For most NPEs, we deal with finding out our dad isn't our dad, which is dramatic, and it's changed people's lives, sometimes for good and sometimes for bad. But for most NPEs, who their mom is doesn't change. The house they grew up in wouldn't have changed had they known about it. The family they grew up with wouldn't have changed had the truth been told. When babies are switched at birth, that baby gets someone else's name, someone else's parents, someone's family, and in some cases, someone else's ethnicity. And then there's this whole other layer, this layer that someone else lived the life you were supposed to live, for better or for worse. This person had your name, called your parents mom and dad, lived in your house. On today's show, We have one such story. Episode 5, Switched at Birth. Shirley Munoz Newson. She found out in 2001 that she'd been switched at birth in 1958. She's never talked to the press about it. Never talked in public. Until now. She has a book coming out in January of 2023. I can't wait to read it. I keep hinting for an advanced copy, but nothing so far. The book is called The Little Dark One, A True Story of Switched at Birth. Shirley was born into the Morgan family, but she never quite fit in. But before we meet Shirley, listen to this clip from 48 Hours episode that aired in 2002 on CBS. It was about the Morgans and their kid that was switched at birth. And I apologize in advance for the bad audio. It's the best I could get. In the wee hours of the morning of April 8th, 1958. I do know that night there was only one nurse in the whole hospital. Someone in this small town hospital made a terrible mistake. An error that would ruin lives when it was finally discovered 43 years later. This has altered our lives. So the woman speaking wasn't Shirley. It was her older sister, Hilda. Remember, Shirley never spoke to the press. 48 Hours did a whole piece about Shirley being switched at birth, but they never heard Shirley's version. They asked her, of course, but she refused. It was too painful. She was too embarrassed. Like a lot of us, she somehow felt like she was to blame. The press loved to tell this story. It made national news, front-page stories. Listen to this clip from that same year. This is CBS, The Early Show. The first clip is someone interviewing two of the sisters Shirley grew up with, and Deborah DeLay, the woman Shirley switched lives with. Can you describe that moment when you first met your sisters? Do you remember? 
Yes, I do. I, I just had to look at him, and, and I mean, it was just instant. I didn't even, I didn't even question it. Not at all. I didn't question anything in the family. It was our, it was my family. <laughs> she looks just like us. Uh, what was your reaction? Because initially, I read that you thought she looks just like us. Oh, exactly. The minute we saw her, we knew. We knew she had the same eyes. She had the same face. The press loved the fairy tale ending. But just listen to this clip when the interviewer asks about Shirley. The tone suddenly changes. I have to ask you um, what Shirley thinks of all this. Is she it's still hard part of your family? family? It's, it's just been very hard for everybody. Well, mm-hmm. Very hard. So it wasn't a fairy tale ending for everyone. Shirley was heartbroken. And it's taken her all this time just so she could even write about it, much less talk about it in public. So I asked her, why now? It's taken me 21 years to be in the best place mentally and emotionally, to have the support of my husband, my children, my church family. In 2001, I was a single mother raising Austin, who was my grandson, who I later adopted, and my son, TJ. God gave me Austin because he knew what was coming up in my life. He knew that... I would not be able to deal with this all at one time. So he gave me this little baby. I'm really excited. I'm, I'm just, I have this comfort level with you that I feel that God has put you in my life for this reason, that I need to do this. This is going to aid also in my healing. So that's why it took me 21 years to do it. One reason Shirley talks about God put me in her life is, well, (laughs) I'm an amazing guy. (laughs) But Shirley decided to write this book, right? She hasn't been in the spotlight for 15 years or so, more than that. Her, you know, story fell out of the limelight. And um, so she wrote this book, spent two years writing it, And then on the day, the very day that she turns the manuscript into her editor, the final manuscript, she gets an email from me asking her (laughs) to tell her story on my podcast. Like that is such a huge coincidence. Um, We're both really amazed by that. Fascinating. I was born in Gillette, Wyoming on April 8th, 1958. Gillette is located in Wyoming in the northeastern corner. In 1958, there was a population of 3,500 people. 1% of those people were Hispanic. It was mainly made up of agriculture, ranching, I have a lot of blank spaces in my early memories. Um, 
Most of my memories are associated with my younger brother, Bill. Uh, we were very close. I was the seventh child of eight children, and Bill was my youngest brother. He was four years younger than me. So I was the youngest girl, and he was the youngest boy. And there's 15 years in between the oldest child and the youngest child, four girls, four boys. And the the oldest <clears throat> daughter, Hilda, raised the younger kids, like Bill and I. They all are very tall. They have blue eyes or green eyes, very large boned, fair skinned. And then I was born. And I had dark hair, dark skin, brown eyes, and really long eyelashes. Again, this is from the 48 Hours special. And this is Hilda, Shirley's oldest sister that she grew up with. I'm eight years old and I look over the bassinet and I see the dark hair. And hair, even for our babies, was strange. But even though Shirley looked nothing like her seven other siblings, there seemed to be a logical explanation. My grandmother was French-Canadian and she was colored like that. If you're listening to this podcast right now, stop what you're doing, go to Instagram and go to NPE underscore life underscore podcast. Look it up right now. Pause it, do it and come back. The picture you'll see is of Shirley as a kid. I'll give you three guesses <laughs> to guess which one's her. But you can see from the photo, clearly something was amiss. Like, did you feel that early on? Like, what was your first memories of something was wrong? Throughout my life, I was always called the milkman's daughter or the postman's daughter or um, maybe a cousin or an aunt or someone had an illegitimate child and that was me and they gave them to the Morgans because they had so many kids in their family anyway. What did one more matter? It was always present but never acknowledged. My grandmother that I was raised with wrote a letter in when I was in junior high, and she called me a very derogatory name. She called me the N-word in the woodpile. And Jean, the mother that raised me, was opening the mail, and she brought me over there, and she said, I want you to read what Grandma Morgan wrote. And she put her finger on this yellow legal-sized paper and showed me what she had said. Why do you think she showed you that letter? Like, what, or what did she hope to accomplish? The dad that raised me knew the minute he saw me that I was not his daughter. So therefore, when I was brought home from the hospital, the family dynamics changed because he thought she had an affair. But he didn't voice that to her. 
he voiced it to his mother and other family members. So the loving family changed to a family that showed no physical emotion. I I was never told I loved you. I was never hugged. Uh, It was void of emotion. Oh, I think actually she probably did it. I mean, she denies ever knowing or hearing that Jim thought she had an affair. But I, I'm pretty certain deep down inside she knew. And I feel she resented me because I was the problem. I changed her life. Right. Because she knew she didn't cheat, right? Like, which is in the world that I'm part of in this NPE world, it's usually the mom cheated, right? Almost always. And so, um, or didn't cheat, but like slept with two guys and chose one to marry, that kind of thing. So, you know, I think it puts her in a unique position in this world that, like, what do you do when the whole world thinks you cheated? And and, and she had no friggin' explanation. Like, no. Right? Like, did she ever talk about it? Like, she thought you might have been switched no, or anything? No, because her way to deal with things were, if we don't talk about them, they didn't happen. So in our family, everything was kept quiet. Everything was surface, our relationships, or I feel my relationship was surface with Jim and Jean. I, you know, I didn't discuss anything with them or with my siblings about my personal life or what was going on in my life. Um, I didn't feel that my my life or my feelings were of any importance to them. So I became this quiet, standoffish, on guard person that I wouldn't let anybody get into my bubble. I was a product of my family. So Shirley wasn't the only one who didn't get shown love in her family. None of them did. Or to be clear, none of them did after Shirley was brought home. See, the family dynamic changed once Shirley came. The once-loving father and dad just wasn't anymore after he thought his wife cheated on him. And to make it worse, the parents never even thought about it. They handled it Midwestern style. If you didn't talk about it, it didn't happen. So I have to say, I feel for Shirley's dad, Jim. His only possible conclusion, really, was that his wife cheated on him. And he had to walk through life thinking that every day. Did he handle it perfectly? Absolutely not. But I feel for him. And then there's her mom. The whole town thought she cheated. But she didn't. There were only 3,500 people in Gillette. So it wasn't a big community. But the older I got, the more... Apparent it was um, because my little brother Bill was so fair skinned and had blonde hair and 
light blue eyes and we were together all the time and I would be so tan in the summer and then I would have this little brother with me so it was all these things these people would say in the community but not necessarily to me we I would hear about them so if I were with a sibling and I was introduced as their sister, they would say, the people I was being introduced to would say, oh, same mom, not same dad. Recently, Shirley had a conversation with a childhood friend named Lance. And he told me he remembers growing up when he lived right behind me. And then another neighbor that was really close to us lived right next door. So his parents and and Edith and Harold were friends. It was um, Bob and Betty and then Edith and Harold. They would sit and drink beer at night. And Lance said, I remember them talking and they were talking about you. They would say, I don't know why Gene won't fess up and tell Jim that. Shirley's not his daughter. They just assumed Jean strayed and had a one-night stand, and I was the product of that. My girlfriend Diane told me that people would know that we were friends, and they would say, so what's up with her? She doesn't look like them. Who is she? She can't be their sister. Look at her and look at them. Well, I didn't have emotion, so I didn't handle it. I had been taught to suppress all emotion. Um, my emotions weren't valid. Um, you didn't cry. You, um, no matter what was happening in your life, if your life was crashing and someone said, how are you doing? I would smile and say, I'm doing just fine. How are you? So Hilda was the oldest sister in the Morgan family. Shirley had a special bond with her until she didn't. And Shirley never really bonded with the other Morgan sisters. I never knew what, why they disliked me. I know why Hilda did. I mean, she had raised me and she had been my protector and my mom. She took me to school on the first day of school. And she had always been there for me. From the time I was born until I was probably 19 Yes, she was very good to me. She was my mother because Jean was tired of raising children. I mean, she was, she had been born in um, St. Paul, Minnesota, and they had small families. And then she married Jim, and they had this big, huge family, and she was exhausted. And it's typical of ranching families that the oldest raised the youngest. I didn't, I didn't really realize how sisters acted until I had these girlfriends and they have their sisters and they go on sisters weekends and they do all these fun things together. And I thought, gosh, I didn't ever do that. So in her senior year of high school, Shirley got engaged to be married. She was in love. But then before the wedding happened, she called it off. But during that time between getting engaged and calling it off, she got pregnant. She had her son, Chris. And my oldest sister, Hilda, they were very supportive and kind to me. 
I went to work at the hospital that I was switched at when Chris was two months old. And I worked there for a couple of years. And then I met Barry, and he lived in Rollins, Wyoming. And Chris and I were going to go and move in with him in Rollins. And my sister Hilda wrote me a four-page letter that I still have. And she was very upset with me. She thought that I should leave Chris with her and she should have guardianship of him. That um, I was too young and it wasn't a good situation. And I chose not to respond to the letter and I moved. And at that point, our whole relationship changed. She became... Or I guess I became her enemy or I had deep, deeply hurt her and our whole relationship changed at that point and it just steadily declined. So do you think she just took that as you know, a total sign of disrespect that you didn't follow her orders or like, it seems like a huge reaction to assist you're making a bad decision. I'm not saying it was a bad decision or not. I'm saying her presumption was that it was a bad decision. Well, actually I didn't realize it until I was writing the book. That didn't realize that I didn't realize. I mean, cause I could never understand why, what had happened. Why was she, why was she undermining me? Why was she? I was so unwelcome um, by her. If I went to family events or the sisters from Colorado and Utah would come and visit, somehow they would forget to call me to invite me. Um, I was always an afterthought. We would have parties and things like that. And I would walk in the room and all talking would cease. And you could cut the tension with a knife. I was so unwelcome. So as I'm writing my book, I realized that after I read that four-page letter and summarize it from my book, I'm like, that's when it happened. That's when it changed. Were you kind of being, um, kicking your heels up a little bit? And was this guy a big drinker or did, did she feel like you were living in sin? Like, yes, that's what she wrote in her letter. She said, I have a daughter that's, how can I tell her that you're going to go live in sin? But no, he was not a big drinker. I mean, his family were Christians. And that's how actually I began my faith journey was through his mother and his family. She just did not want me to take Chris because she did not feel that I was capable of taking care of him. That she told me in the letter, well, you fought with him. You and Chris would fight. And I thought, 
how do you fight with a two-year-old? Because Chris was two then. It didn't make sense. But I did, you know, when after Chris was born, I had a job from four to a or three to eleven. And then we did go out and go to the bars and drink and party. And Hilda and my mom took care of Chris. And I did take advantage of the situation. I mean, I, I remember sometimes I'd go home after we'd been out drinking and I'd walk up to my bedroom and my mom would be rocking Chris and she would be mad at me because I was out late and Chris woke up and, and, and rightfully so I did take advantage of that situation. I acknowledge that. So Shirley and Barry eventually got married. Then they moved back to Gillette. And we got married at the Lutheran church in Gillette because that was very important to his parents. And then when our kids, we, we had two children together, Lindsay and TJ. So then we started taking them to Sunday school. And then I became active in teaching Sunday school. And I had adult confirmation. And um, that was where my faith journey began. And from that point on, faith was a, a big part of my life. After we moved back to Gillette, the first year we did the holidays, um, switched in between families. And then the tension was so bad that um, we no longer participated in the Morgan family holidays. We did everything with the Larson family. I know that in 1993, my mom had went to Minnesota to visit her sisters and um, I would stop in and see my dad and check on him. The kids and I would, and she came back from that trip and the kids and I were there visiting and she took me into the bedroom and closed the door and she said, I need to talk to you. And I said, what? And she said, well, did your dad say he isn't your dad? And I said, what? And she said, did your dad say he isn't your dad? And I said, no, why? And she said, good, it's not true. She turned around and walked out of the room. Period. It was never spoke about again. So then from then on, yes, I had doubts. But never because you were the little brown one growing up. Well, then that came into play then, too, because I thought, well, I'm so different. And personality-wise, everything, I'm, I'm totally different. My voice, my look, everything, my, I'm just different. I just didn't fit in. Even though Shirley's relationship was strained with the Morgans, she never let it affect the relationship her kids had with their grandma and grandpa. She made sure they were part of their lives. My children were the favorite grandchildren because they spent the most time with them. Because when we moved back from Rollins, 
I would do so many things with Jane, take her shopping, and my kids just loved her. She was the best grandmother they could have ever asked for. And it was important to me that they spend time with her, regardless of what later on happened. I never broke that bond. They never knew what she did to me. Missing Pieces will be right back after a break. So, in 2001, Jim, Shirley's dad, was in the hospital. And according to 48 Hours, this is what transpired. Jim Morgan fell ill with a serious heart condition. At the age of 80, after he was told he had just weeks to live, Jim blurted out what he had feared for years, that Shirley wasn't his child. I told Kathy that Shirley wasn't my baby. And I went to visit him, and Jean took me back out in the hall and said, Hilda wants you to have a DNA test done because dad told her that Shirley doesn't know her father. And she said, would you do that? And I said, yes, of course. I want to know. And we did the whole legal process where you take the photos and it's all done like you would do in a paternity suit. So we went up and did the, went to the nursing home and and did the DNA swabs. And it took, it seemed like weeks and weeks, which I, I think it really only took two weeks to do. Just a note here. In 2001, home DNA tests weren't really part of our culture yet. I think Family Tree DNA, which was the first direct to consumer DNA kit, didn't even open its doors until the year 2000, and they certainly were never that popular. So like she said, Shirley had hers done at a local lab where paternity tests were done. So I kept checking the mail every day for the results. And I was working at church on a Saturday, and Austin was at a friend's house. And I ran home and checked my mail, and there was a large manila envelope in there but I couldn't open it on my own so I picked Austin up and I went out to Scott's house he was my boyfriend then and I gave the envelope to him because I I needed support and I couldn't open it and he opened it and I looked at him and he had a look of Like his eyes were sad. And he looked at it and he read it. And it said, there's 0.00% chance that James Morgan can be your father. And then I said, I have to go to my mom's house. I have to tell her. And I walked in the house, and she was standing in the living room. 
And she looked at me and said, what? And I said, I have the results. And I walked over to her and I handed them to her. And she looked at them and she looked at me. And she said, if he's not your father, I'm not your mother. And I'll take a DNA test to prove it. And that was it. And I just, I stood there and I said, please don't tell anybody. Especially don't tell Hilda. Just give me time to process this. I knew that I'd been switched at birth because she was adamant. I have never been with another man. I will take the DNA test to prove it. That spoke volumes to me because that meant she was willing to take this test and it's 99% accurate. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time a mother lied in that situation, but I think that would have been a safe assumption because first of all, she asked you to take the test and then she offered to do it herself. Um, but you think again, and somebody, you know, hearing this in hindsight, it wasn't a very maternal reaction. No, it was not. Like you think you would have liked to have heard, I love you no matter what. Yes. I mean, I don't know. Like, what would, does it piss you off if I say we have to give her a pass because she was in shock? Yeah. It does piss you off? Yes. Why is that? Because that's the way she treated me. When she told me that she, uh, if asking me if my, if my dad said he's not your dad. And she walks off without an explanation. That was my life. You didn't get explanations. Right. Um, she wasn't, I put myself in her place. And my child, any of my children, I don't care if they got switched or what happened. They would never, ever lose my love. I could never have responded like that to my children. And that day when you got the DNA results, is that the day that you felt like she stopped loving you? That's the day that she became Jane and she was no longer mom. From your point of view or hers? From my point of view. No, from my point of view, I was done. Years of emotional detachment. She was not the loving, caring mom. I always looked for a mom that was, would be what I thought was the mom, like Barry's mom was. <laughs> always was a mom. Um, she just was not emotionally available. 
So when she said that to me, that was like the last stab in my heart. But I, I never let that affect the relationship she had with my children. So you, at the end of that day, you felt like you were switched at birth. Did you have the language for that? Or you just thought, I mean, it must have felt like you were just tossed up in the air and no one was there to catch you. I know. I felt like, I remember I was at Scott's house and I had cried so hard that I went in his bathroom to clean my face up. And I looked at myself and I thought, I'm not, I'm not me. I don't even know who I am. I look the same as I looked this morning, but I'm not me. My identity was taken from me. I had been living a life, someone else's life. It wasn't my life. To find out who was living Shirley's life and all that came after, tune in to part two of Switched at Birth on the next episode of Missing Pieces, NPE Life. If you like this podcast, please rate it, subscribe to it, all that shizzle. And if you could leave us a review, that would be really, really wonderful. Missing Pieces is written, edited, and produced by yours truly, Don Anderson. All the music in today's episode was provided by the library of Billy Sullivan. If you need custom music composed or if you want to check out his existing library, he can be found at www.billysullivanscore.com.